Well, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us out this morning. Uh, Good morning. And would you open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24 uh, or up on your device. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a blue one in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to follow along and you'll find Luke 24 on page 885. Well, let me add my welcome to everybody this morning and especially in those who are visiting with us. Um, my name is Aaron. I um, have the privilege of serving as part of the leadership team here at Grace and um, our, our entire team, our entire ministry, uh, if you have not uh, seen it already, is passionate about making much of Jesus. Week in and week out, day in and day out, we want to cultivate and provide an atmosphere where anybody can walk in, anybody can come in and encounter the love of Christ, regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of what you're walking in with, um, regardless of kind of where you are on the map of faith, uh, anybody can come and encounter the love of Christ. And today, um, obviously, is Easter Sunday. The day where we celebrate the victory of a man who laid down his life for sinners, who was raised by the Father, who salvation is offered freely through. And to be honest, um, that is the fuel for our worship every single Sunday. And so what we're doing this morning is what you will find what we do really every Sunday, week in and week out. We just happen to be probably dressed a little bit nicer and a little bit brighter today than normal. All right? Somebody might take a picture at some point later today. Um, So I don't know why... All of you came this morning. I don't know whether you woke up and you were excited. It's Easter, excited to go to church. Or if, if you were honest, you woke up and it's, oh, it's Easter. I have to go to church. But I fully recognize that we are all across the map. And, and here's the thing. Here's, the, here's the, um, the power that's in church is that regardless of where you are on the map, regardless of where I am on that map, all I want all of us to see this morning is what is in this. Because it is explosive, and, and, and it's like, like a firecracker. If you, as a kid, you, you, you liked messing around with firecrackers, you always need that one bold friend who would run out to the middle and, and light the fuse and then run for cover before it blows. Like, that's my role each and every week. Come up here, open this book, light the fuse, and watch it light things up. And so this morning, we're going to walk through Luke 24, and I really, I want to keep it simple. I want to distinguish between two things. I want to distinguish between what it is to know about the resurrection and really believe in the resurrection in a way that shapes your life. The difference between knowing about it and believing it, and and what's that pathway to get from one to the other. Uh, If you were here at the start of the service, Genevieve and Jeff started uh, by reading Luke 24, 1 through 7. And um, that is Luke's account of of the resurrection itself, right? Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and and then some women showed up at the tomb, and the stone was rolled away, and, and no one was inside. It was empty. An angel said to the women, he is not here, he is risen. That's the resurrection. It can be explained in 15 seconds. Those are its claims. Jesus is no longer dead, he is risen. And that is why we celebrate Easter. And listen, I'm just going to go on a limb and say, I assume you knew that when you came in. But here's the thing. Luke 24, it's 53 verses long. That was just the first seven. 
The rest of the chapter confirms this reality that Jesus has risen, but it also provides this pathway, this pathway of how the facts of the resurrection come to shape someone's life. Everything they are, everything they do, how it revolves around these facts and these claims. And so we're just going to walk along the path this morning of Luke 24. And, And as we do, I just want you to ask yourself, where am I on this path? Where am I on this path? We're all somewhere on it. And we all start at the first point. The first stop on the pathway is, is hearing. Well, once you hear it, you know about it, right? Everybody knows about it. And so the, the women uh, come from this empty tomb, and they are all jacked up, and they get back to where all uh, the rest of Jesus' disciples are, and they proclaim he is risen. And I want to just read what happens when they do that. So verses 9 through 12 of Luke 24. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Um, so between the 11 apostles that are left, right, Judas um, uh, is no longer with them. Between the 11 apostles, and there's estimated about 120 total of Jesus' followers after his death. And, and, and so uh, they said, Luke says, he went to the apostles and to the others. So let's just say there's about 120 people there. And, and the women come back, and they proclaim this awesome truth of the resurrection, and they dismiss it immediately. You see what it said? It goes, Yeah, it sounds like a fairy tale. And and with the exception of Peter, nobody moves a muscle. They they, they don't move. They hear. They know about it, but nothing happens. Listen, if Luke was trying to make up a religion, if he was trying to make up a story that people would grow to believe, he probably would not have included that initial response. But do you know why it's in there? Because it happened. No one was expecting or looking for a resurrection. Which seems amazing to us because we read the Gospels and Jesus on multiple occasions is saying, I'm going to die on the third day rise. He had just said it a few days prior and here they are on the third day and no one's looking for it. Do you notice none of the 11 apostles were waiting at that tomb on the third day? Nobody was there expecting something to happen. The the only ones who went there were a few women, and they were going with spices and perfumes, which were meant to adorn a dead body. They were going expecting to find a dead Jesus to adorn. And then the angels appear. They say he's not here anymore. And, And even being told by these women what they saw, nothing. It's an idle tale. That can't happen. It's not on their radar. Again, the one exception was Peter, who was an emotional mess. Uh, He has a long history with Jesus, being the closest to him, being the one who denied him three times the night he was killed. He, He at least ran to the tomb. We weren't told he believed, but we at least saw and realized, well, there's at least not a body here. But everybody else, nothing. They heard a claim that Jesus rose from the dead but it did nothing to change them. This is the first and last stop on the pathway for many. 
People who hear the claims of the resurrection like we did this morning. Jesus paid for your sins and and now he is risen, offering you new new life. And it's like, okay, so what's for lunch today? Where Where are we going for brunch? Which spot where we got reservations? Did you see those final four games last night? Pretty crazy. Loyola almost got it, couldn't get there. But, but this risen thing, yeah, it's a, it's a fairy tale. I mean, people might not even be trying to be disrespectful or mean-spirited. They just hear it, and, and just nothing happens. It just doesn't compel them in any way. Why is a man who lived 2,000 years ago and died, and, and now all of a sudden wasn't there three days later, is that really supposed to shape me today? They're not trying to be disrespectful. They just say it's, it's a tale. It's a story. A pretty cool story, but a story. And I hear what you're saying, just like I hear infomercials that market these pills that are going to burn all my fat and give me washboard abs in seven days. So I hear it, but I don't, doesn't mean I believe it. It's just noise. The first stop on the pathway is hearing, and it is vital to hear before you believe. But hearing and just knowing about the resurrection is not the same as believing and being transformed by it. Which leads us to the second stop on the pathway, from, from hearing to now reasoning. So now it's understandable to think that some, if not many of these followers, they're just headed home because they're defeated and they're discouraged, and so they're just giving up. Like, like fans at a sporting event who head for the exits before the game is over. There, there's a lack of faith that their team is going to win, so they're going home. They're beating traffic. They're getting on the road. And specifically in Luke 24, we're told of two disciples who are on a road to a village called Emmaus, uh, which is seven miles outside the city of Jerusalem. And one of the two is a man named Cleophas, and, and we're never told the other. So this could be a man and a woman, this could be two men, but either way, two followers of Jesus, and they're going home, and they're dejected. And they're in this intense discussion over all that's happened. They're they're trying to piece it together. They're trying to figure it out, uh, how it all went wrong. And then all of a sudden, the risen Jesus shows up and goes, Hey guys, what are we talking about? And they're kept from recognizing him, we're told. And we don't know if that means God kept them from recognizing them or, or if they were just so in, um, involved in their own little world that they didn't really even bother to look at this guy who came up to him. But either way, Cleophas is having none of it, right? And so he just says to him, like, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? Like, paraphrase, you live under a rock, bro? What do you think we're talking about? The whole city has been a set aflame by the things that have happened. And Jesus just keeps his cool. He goes, what things? Tell me about it. Right? This is like the original episode of Undercover Boss. Right? <laughs> Jesus is just acting oblivious. And he goes, just tell me from your own mouth. Tell me what happened. Tell me about it. And so he lays it out. He gives it kind of the quick version, right? There's this prophet Jesus who had, he had done amazing things in word and deed over a few years. But, but now he was condemned to death and he has died. And, and we followers of him, like we thought he was the one. We thought he would save us. We, we thought he would be our king, right? You just, you, just know, you just see the irony in these comments, right? He's like, we thought he was going to save us. We thought he was going to be the king of Israel, but now it's the third day and nothing. Nobody, no evidence, nothing, and so we're going home. And then we read this, Luke 24, 25 through 27. 
And he, he being Jesus, said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see what Jesus does? This just puts on display the slow patience of our Savior. He begins to reason with them. And he begins to, to show them from their own scriptures, which at this time is, is what we know as the Old Testament. They're the scriptures for the Jews. For the Jews. And, and he just shows them from all different points how they all point to the suffering Messiah. They all look ahead. And they all talk about this Messiah who would deliver God's people and, and how the pathway to glory always comes through suffering. Not by going around it. Through it. And he engages their mind. He gives them this lens which through they should view all that has been revealed in the past and how everything is meant to point to him. Listen, the thought that the Christian faith is just this blind faith with no intellectual aspect to it, that it's just this kind of fairy tale that, yes, I believe and hope it works out in the end, that's just, um, that's just wrong. The Christian faith is not just brainless submission of being like, well, you know what, I don't want to think about it, because if I think about it, I might not believe, so let's just say I believe and stay in this lane. Blinders on. It's not what he does. Jesus reasons with them. He engages their mind. He could have just told them, guys, it's me, it's me. This whole time, it's been me. But he takes the time to go through all of history and show, guys, this was the plan all along. A Messiah dying on the cross and the Father raising him from the dead is not plan B. God was not up in heaven and being like, man, things really got out of control down there. We need to think of something creative. Jesus, go. All right? That's not how it happened. He's saying, from all time, it always was, before the foundation of the world, God's sovereign purpose to redeem sinners, to restore a fallen creation by sending his own son. And it happened in his perfect timing. God is never late. Ever. And Jesus shows these disciples that while he's not named in the Old Testament, he's all over it. This book, it's not just a collection of stories that was compiled far later and just a bunch of moral tales that tell you kind of a guide to life. It is one story, one cohesive story of a God who's redeeming a fallen creation and restoring it through his son, Jesus. This story is the story behind every story. And Jesus is always the climax. He's the ultimate meaning of everything in the Old Testament. He's the greater Abraham. He's the true Moses. He's the better David. He's the great high priest. No Old Testament story is complete until it leads you to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a game changer. And this is what it means for the resurrection to shape the way you view the past. And that includes the way you view your past. If the resurrection is true, if it accomplishes what it claims to accomplish, that, that salvation is offered from sin, that there's confidence and assurance in this salvation, that you are given a new identity in Christ, that you are secure from all of eternity, if that is true, 
then everything in your life is meant to lead you to the presence and power of Jesus Christ. Every longing you've had, most of which people probably don't know about, it was you and yourself staring at the ceiling fan. That ache in your soul, every failure, every success, every closed door, every open door, every heartbroken, failed relationship, every experience of love, everything is meant you to lead you to the Christ who laid down his life for your sin and your brokenness and who was raised so that you too could find your victory in his. Every believer has gone through a phase of reasoning, of taking these claims And then now trying to see their life through this lens. And if you're here this morning and you have not really gone from that um, phase of hearing to reasoning, that's my simple challenge for you. Just take the next step. Look into it. Again, if the resurrection could even possibly be true, then it's worth looking into. True faith is not against reason. It's not against questions. It's not against doubt. Engage with it. Search it. What is life's purpose? Why are you here? What is the meaning of it all? In our day, listen, people try to avoid that kind of thinking because it makes them nervous. Because it might freak them out a little bit. And I just encourage you, see those questions through. And I trust they will lead you to Jesus. So first, hearing. Second, reasoning. And third, stop on the path in Luke 24, experiencing. Experiencing. So after sharing a meal with these two disciples in Emmaus, he takes bread and he breaks it. And we're told that their eyes were finally opened to who he is. And they are amazed. And they're saying to one another, they're elbowing each other at the table, didn't our hearts burn within us? We're in our heart. Wasn't something stirring when we heard him talk? And, and, and they book it back to Jerusalem in that same hour, we're told. A a slow walk from Jerusalem now gets offset by a sprint back to the city, seven miles in an hour. It's a respectful pace, all right? Talking under nine minutes a mile for seven miles in sandals, all right? I'm just saying, I take that, all right? They show up to the others, and they're all out of breath, and all they can blurt out is, the Lord is risen indeed. And now all these disciples... They've heard this before, right? They heard that from the women, and there was nothing. And in all likelihood, that probably would have been the same response this time. But now, there's a wrinkle in the story. Something different happens. Back to Luke 24. Let's read verses 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. This time, as they were talking, Jesus appears. All right? Jesus probably ran like a four-minute mile pace. He's just like, where are these guys, man? Like, come on. And, And what are taking them so long? I don't know, but he's there now, and he says, 
have no fear. It's me. You're not hallucinating. Look at these hands and look at these feet. Touch them and see them. And, and oh, by the way, you have anything to eat around here? I'm hungry. Spirits don't ask you for something to eat. A bodily resurrection. Jesus died on the cross. He stopped breathing. He had no pulse. And here he is, breathing, talking, eating. Jesus is alive. And these disciples have now experienced an encounter with the living Jesus Christ, and it floored them. It's one thing to hear, and it's another thing to to, to reason, but now they experience him in their presence, and obviously it changes everything. They were overjoyed. They, they marveled. They were still kind of confused. Like, how could they not be? Like, this is just shock to them. But it changes everything. And they still have some questions. Man, oh, do they ever. They still don't know it all. And to some extent, they, they never may not have every answer to their questions. But they cannot deny which they have seen. And they cannot deny which they have heard. And they cannot deny which they have felt. Faith. And believing is not the absence of questions. It's not when every one of your questions that gets answered that you say, okay, now I'm in. It's when you experience the living Christ in such an overwhelming way that you put your full trust in him despite your questions. And so you might say, okay, pastor, I'll wait till Jesus stands right here for me to believe. These guys, they had him come in the flesh, and they fed him, and they touched him, and they saw, um, but how are we supposed to experience him now? At the end of Luke, in the beginning of Acts, Jesus said to his disciples, wait, someone better is on the way. And I'm sure they were like, what? What do you mean someone better is on the way? We just want you here. Just stay here forever. And he says, no, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to live inside of you, who's going to testify to me for all of eternity. And the work of the Holy Spirit, among other things, is to enable people to experience the living Christ. We have a mighty God who loves to reveal the person and work of his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit in powerful ways. It's not just the big dramatic ways that you see the testimonies online with millions of views, but even the small, powerful experiences that we feel in our souls and we just can't explain away. Can't explain why that's happening. Can't explain why I'm feeling like that. He reveals himself through his church, through the witness of his people. He he reveals himself through his word. He reveals himself through his creation. He reveals himself through dreams. He reveals himself through even suffering. There are an infinite number of ways that an infinite, all-powerful God can reveal himself to his people that he is claiming for himself. So my prayer, amongst others, is that your heart would be softened enough and our God would be gracious enough to reveal himself to you this Easter morning in a way that he never has before. On to the fourth and last stop on the pathway. Worshiping. Let's read. Luke 45 to the end, verse 53. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the breaking point of Luke 24. The resurrection story begins the pathway, and it weaves its way its round, and it gets to right here. And so I want you to listen. These verses clear out the clutter. They boil it down to the foundational core. What's it mean to be a Christian? It's a simple question. But it's one that has grown to become very complicated and and kind of those, those waters have been muddied in our day to the point where if you went and wherever you go to brunch today, you ask 10 people, hey, what's it mean to be a Christian? You're probably gonna get 10 responses. Many will say, well, it means that you're a good person and you try to do good for everybody around you and you try to affect social and systematic change in our world. And, and well, being a Christian leads to doing good, yes, and amen. It leads to being an advocate for sure, but to be a Christian is not to just be a good person. Well, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian family, and we did all the things that Christian families do. Man, I have the certificates, and I have the videos to prove it. Right? I went through that process, and I would say, praise God for that, that, that he put you in a family that grew up in a Christian home, but that does not make you a Christian. And you say, well, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good with my attendance, and I get to church pretty often, and I read my Bible, and I pray when I'm in desperate situations, and I'd say, yes and amen, every believer should be tied to a church. Yes, we should read the word. Yes, we should pray and have communion with the Father, but just doing those things don't make you a Christian. So what is it then? These verses clear out the clutter. To be a Christian, it doesn't start with you or me. Yes, we have a role to play, but it does not start there. It starts with this, and Jesus boils it down, that thus it was written that the Christ should die, and the Christ shall rise again. He died for sinners, which is, um, we say all the time, you know what we mean by sinners? We mean everyone. We mean your pastor. We mean the church kids and the non-church kids. All have fallen and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and he does not come to just improve your life. He comes to give you life. He doesn't come to make you nice. He comes to make you new. His death was necessary to be your substitute, to, to die the death you deserve by living the sinless life you could not. And he came to pay the ransom that was put on your life. His death was necessary. And his resurrection was necessary to declare that that ransom was paid in full. Sometimes we can be so hyper-focused on the death and we almost forget about the resurrection except for Easter Sunday. Have you ever wondered what, happens, what would have happened if God just didn't raise Jesus from the dead? Would it have mattered? Our sins were paid for on the cross. If, if, if Jesus just came to die for sins on the cross, does it really matter if he was raised or not? The answer is a resounding yes. And you want to know why? 
Because once a sentence for a crime is paid in full, the prisoner is allowed to go free. Jesus paid an infinite sentence for the sins of mankind, but that sentence was paid in full because on Easter Sunday, he walked out free. Just like it would be unjust for someone to have to remain in prison after they served their sentence, so too it would have been unjust for Jesus to remain dead because he paid the full bill. And so by the Father raising Jesus from the dead, we have this unbelievable assurance that he really is the eternal Son of God, that our debt has been paid in full, and we can be assured that all of our sins were fully paid for. The resurrection was a declaration, a declaration of victory over death, one that gives you confidence, one that gives you assurance, one that gives you courage, that death has now lost its sting for all who believe. Jesus died, and Jesus rose again solely out of his mercy and grace, and it is nothing that we have done. And so, okay, what's our role to play? It starts with him. He died, and he rose again. What's our role? How's this happen? He just told us. Repentance of sin that brings about forgiveness. That is our role, to respond in faith. Faith. Not, not just knowing about Jesus, not just hearing the claims, but believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Faith that acknowledges that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that it's Christ alone who paid our debt. And, and so what's it mean to be a Christian? At its core, to be a Christian is to believe you were forgiven of your sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church, I don't know how you view the church. If you're not normally in church, I don't know how you view it. A lot of it's not positive, and I get it. But the church is not full of people that are better than everyone else. The church is full of people who freely admit they weren't better and they need a savior. And that belief, that faith, is the fuel to worship. The end of Luke 24 is the first time we're told explicitly that the disciples worshipped him. If you want to know what you believe, maybe you don't even really know, if you want to know where your faith is in this world, you'll find it in the place where your heart worships most. You'll find it in the place of the things that you love most. A worship of Jesus Christ that flows from faith. It shapes the way you spend your time. It shapes the way you pour yourself out for others. It shapes the way you respond to opposition and those who disagree with you. It, it shapes the way you react to criticism. It, it shapes the way um, of, of the lens that you see the world through. And it shapes the way that you think about how you, all you want to do is give to others and not just take from others. Because why would you have to take anything when all you have is Jesus? It's four stops on a path. It's a clear pathway in Luke 24. Hearing, reasoning, experiencing, and worshiping. Where are you on the path this morning? The truth of the resurrection is the fuel in which the Christ-filled life runs on. Everything hinges on this question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? If not, then it's nothing. He's a liar to be heard about and forgotten. But if so, then it's everything. He's a God to be worshipped. With those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Would you bow with me as we pray this morning?